You're listening to the Wordslinger Podcast, episode 112, Going Global with Joanna Penn. This episode of the Wordslinger Podcast is brought to you by draft to digital Convert your manuscript, distribute it online, and get support the whole way at DraftToDigital.com. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. And if I uh, sound a little raspier than usual, it's because I am currently, I am ex- I'm sitting in an RV park uh, in Austin, Texas, having just gone through this Smarter Artist Summit all week long. So uh, last night we kind of rounded things up with uh, karaoke, <laughs> uh, which is why my voice sounds the way it does. And because uh, I do love me karaoke, I do. Uh, <laughs> man, I really was. I, I kind of shut the place down actually. Um, as they were closing out the room, another song came up and uh, I sang everybody out of the room. So <laughs> I love it, man. Um, anyway, uh, so Smarter Artist Summit, I just want to talk a little about that real quick because uh, I know a lot of you listening. Uh, were there. Uh, you're probably not listening to it the day this releases, actually. If you're anything like me, uh, this is a rough day for you so far. <laughs> I had a little too much to drink, I think. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I was at the summit all week. Uh, you know, Draft to Digital actually sponsored the summit. Uh, so I was here with Dan Wood. Um, it's a, it, you know, this, here's what I love about this thing. Okay, there were some complaints, and I, I kind of understand where some of it's coming from. Uh, complaints that there was too much basic material uh, for the advanced folks in the room. Um, I understand where that's coming from, because there there were a lot of basics. Uh, a lot of things that we, any of us who've been in the game at all, uh, for any length of time, already know. Uh, that said, there were a lot of people in the room who were just, you know, some folks hadn't even published a book yet. Uh, we're still working on one hadn't even started one yet so they were there to get that information so it's very valuable to them uh and some of it serves as a great reinforcer for us uh if we're already publishing it doing this business you know frankly there were a couple of things it wasn't like new information for me but there would be things that suddenly i I, something clicked and I'm, i'm like you know i i i knew that but i'm not doing that you know it set me back on sort of a path we'll say um but then uh the value for me and for a lot of other attendees it really came down to the connections um the networking um which is a a term that these days i kind of hate to throw around because networking has become this sort of you know gun finger you know (laughs) wink you know, <laughs> we're networking kind of thing. And I, I, that was in no way what this was, really. Uh, first of all, this is a community. It's a great community. Everybody there is is so in tune uh, with everyone else. Like, everyone wants to help. Everyone wants to contribute. Uh, everyone has advice. They've done things that, that no one else has done or, you know, have tried things. It, it saves you as the author uh, a lot of time to talk to some of these folks, your fellow attendees at a conference like this one <clears throat> but there were some big name folks there as well um you know that we we all got to 
kick around with. You know, the, there were a couple of representatives from BookBub there, <clears throat> and uh, I actually had drinks with them last night. Um, and there's so many exciting things that can come out of the, those relationships. Now, for us at Draft to Digital, it, it, there are a certain there's a certain direction uh, that things can go. But as an author, um, I talked to folks last night that. You know, I, I actually got information uh, I never had access to before. Uh, I got perspectives I never would have had. Um, I made connections with people that um, I otherwise would never meet. <clears throat> you know, there's there, there are going to be many future podcasts <laughs> that <laughs> and uh, interviews that come out of that conference. So um, I'm very excited about how it all went down. I uh, So if you have not attended, this is my second year... Uh, well, they've only had it two years. I, I went to the Colonist Summit three years ago, um, and that was a career changer for me. Uh, attending the summit last year, their very first Smarter Artist Summit, was um, empowering. Um, and this year, the takeaway for me, <clears throat> something I'm going to do, um, I realized while I was sitting there that actually I have an author business plan strategy that I developed in 2013, and I'm still operating off that same strategy. Uh, and 2013, Kevin didn't know much. I mean, he didn't—he knew plenty, but he didn't know nearly as much about, um, you know, uh, the ways. <laughs> we'll say. Uh, so, you know, something that I don't do uh, that I, I need to start doing more of is stepping back at least once a year, reevaluating the plan. Uh, first of all, have a plan, <laughs> which I, you know, my plans, I don't do very well with the whole planning uh, part of my business, honestly. I, I'm a pantser, man. What can I say? They used a phrase, uh, pantsing at life. And I, I, I heard that and it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I do. I pants at life. Um, that can have its benefits, its ups and downs. Uh, but some of the downs can be a little overwhelming. So it's better if, if you can sit down, put pen to paper, put you know fingers to keyboards i'm probably gonna do this on paper first and then type it up but um write out your plan i talked with ben hale all right i'm gonna reach over the microphone here you're gonna hear some paper rustling because i i made a note when i ben hale if you don't know him is an author um he was introduced to the smarter art summit by the guys from podium uh he is, if you were there, he's the guy who stood up and, and for two years in a row has memorized the names of everyone in the conference, literally everyone in the conference, and had us all stand up and named us one by one <laughs> and, and just memorized everyone's names and details about them. And uh, he said something that is, that is pretty awesome that I want to repeat here. He, he, he's been asked about it, you know, it's, a, it's like a... People kind of think of it as a party trick or whatever, but he, he actually has a deeper meaning behind it, which was, you're worth remembering. And, you know, tears come to his eyes, and tears come to everyone else's eyes. <laughs> and it was a very poignant moment. Um, and it's true. Like, you are, you're, you are worth remembering. I'm worth remembering. Uh, this this parlor trick that he does is, is so much more than that. Uh, so pretty amazing. But in a conversation I had with him afterward, um, you know, we were talking about goal setting and prioritizing and that sort of thing. And one of the one of the things that uh, he he was saying was, um, you know, basically in in terms of prioritizing, you know, get a sheet of paper or get a, open a word document or whatever you're comfortable with. You know, make make two columns and uh, 
on the on the left hand column list everything you do this is what I do you know this is my typical day is everything that comes out of my day or are these these are the things I do throughout the week or in my job or in my you know author career or whatever um, and then on the right hand column for each line write um, what you get out of it and I you know it, it's not a it's not a new thing I've heard this before this is something I've experienced uh, uh, I've, had, I've had people tell me about before, I've read about in books, that sort of thing, uh, for picking your priorities, you know. Uh, and el- you can eliminate things that are not priority to you. If you're not getting much out of an activity, um, then maybe you consider, you know, getting rid of that activity if you can. Uh, but the, the thing that is profound, and the reason I jotted it down so that I would remember to talk about it, is that, um, you know, it's something that we don't often do. It, it it came on the heels. It, this wasn't even a conversation about you know my author strategy stuff, which I I you know, today after I finish this podcast, I'm actually going to sit down and do that. But uh, it connects with it perfectly because it's um, it's not just you know what are you doing in your daily life and how do you prioritize it, but it's also what is your plan for the future? What is it that you you plan to do and what will you get out of it? He uh, actually was very, he has a very analytical approach to a lot of things, uh, including relationships uh, he connects to when he connects with people at these events. Um, he, he sits and does a list of uh, all the things that happened, all the people he met. You know, everyone gives you a business card, right? So he sits and he makes his business card list or whatever. He lists out the name and he, he assigns a value to what he learned from that person or what he, what resource he got from that person not the person the person's value is immeasurable but the the value of the connection or the value of what they taught him um if he learned something in the conference he writes that that idea down and what's the value he puts a dollar value on that you know um and that's sort of the potential value of of attending so that even if you spent money out of your own pocket you go to a say a a, a conference that you know you're focused on selling books you know and you don't sell more than maybe two books but you paid five hundred dollars to attend that conference and then the tendency is to look at it and say i'm kind of upside down uh but then if you look at the people you encountered the connections you made what you learned from it the other authors you encounter the other you know people in the publishing industry and that sort of thing and you start assigning value to the to those relationships and those connections and suddenly um the money that you spent is an investment that can pay off in bigger ways later. So anyway, th- that's part of uh, that's part of what's on my mind now after this conference. And on the heels of this conference, uh, I'm going to kind of take a day and reflect quietly, um, and rather than I'm here in Austin uh, till till tomorrow morning, and everyone who is still here is probably going to gather for barbecue and other things. Uh, period, you know, throughout the day, um, I may or may not participate. I may be a little antisocial today and just kind of retreat into my mobile cave here and uh, spend some time actually re-strategizing. And part of that re-strategization, this is what we call a segue, people. <laughs> part of that re-strategization, I forget it. Part of uh, that strategy <laughs> is uh, uh, considering how I want to approach distribution on a global scale how do I want to approach my career from a global perspective and I can't really think of anybody better to talk about that at all 
than today's guest. And I, and I want to apologize, by the way, we're 12 minutes in and I'm just now getting to Joanna's interview. Uh, but I hope you got some value out of the uh, front end of this. And I'll, I'll keep the short, I'll keep the back end short. So anyway, at 12 minutes, uh, let's, let's go ahead and drop in on my conversation with Joanna Penn and all about uh, going global. See you on the other side. Hello, and uh, today we're actually, we're going to chat with Joanna Penn. Now, you have probably heard that name. Uh, I know I had heard it quite a bit before. I really dug deep into uh, self-publishing. Uh, but we're going to have a chat with Joanna today, and I'm, I'm really happy about it. Among other things, uh, one of the things I'm, I want us to talk about is her strategy for uh, going wide and globalization and embracing new markets. Uh, but she's also got some news to share about uh, projects she's working on. So we're going to leap right into that. And Joanna, thanks so much for being on. No worries. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So you, you're you no stranger to uh, this idea of going wide. You're, you're a proponent of that. Uh, where where does the whole thing start for you? Like, what advice do you give people when they ask you about it? Well, first of all, this is definitely a personal decision, and there are so many <laughs> right. there are so many variables around the idea of going wide, and obviously things change all the time. So, uh, you know, that's straight up what people should think about is you know advice changes over time. But um, for me, you know, sort of going back to 2011, um, some people will remember the global financial crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, like many people, was laid off. Um, in that time, um, I was working as an IT consultant back then. Um, my boss came through. There was I was on a floor with about four hundred other people, and he came in with a stack of of A4 pages and basically handed them out. And most people were laid off that day, Ooh. and we were given a couple of weeks. Yeah, given a couple of weeks worth of income. But I was a contractor, so there was you know th- there's no stability in any job. Let's just face it. So, and what I realised that day, and this is why going wide is is quite a personal issue for me, is um, I realized that day that I could not allow one company to control um, my income entirely. Uh, So I basically made a sort of fundamental shift at that point to never allow one company to have that much power over my life again. Because essentially then I was, you know, like many people, I was like, oh, well, what do I do now? You know, I've got all my bills and everything. Everything comes from one stream of income. And and that has made a fundamental difference to my life because um, I don't just have multiple book streams of income I have you know probably over a hundred streams of income now um, not wow. just from books but from various websites some of them are like five bucks a month you right. know but some of them are thousands and so this is what's important so for me um, and of course many people who are listening do have a day job so and maybe writing for them is you know a hundred bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or whatever so their main income is not Amazon Um, but when people talk about going wide the assumption there is the opposite is going exclusive to Amazon which is usually what people are talking about so um, first of all for That was the first big thing, uh, sort of fundamental. I will not let one company control my life. Um, The second thing that happened was, I don't you you probably remember this. Some listeners might. A couple of years ago now, Hachette um, had a a quite public battle with Amazon over um, contract negotiations. Mm -hmm. And um, they uh, basically removed, I think, uh, don't quote me on this, and this is just my remembering. They either removed the buy buttons or they made it so that people ordering books, um, they had a much longer lead time. So they basically 
basically had control over that. And some of the articles at the time said that in traditional publishing, about 80% of traditional publishing's book sales come through Amazon. And again, I looked at that and went, okay, well, that's similar to me. At that point, that was quite similar. You know, 80% of my income was coming through KDP um, for Kindle. Um, And I just went, do you know what? There is a reason Hachette and there were some other publishers at the time are over a barrel. And again, it's about giving up your power. So this is definitely a decision for um, people who are who are at a more mature stage in their author journey. So for new writers who have fewer than three books and or who are not full-time writers, and let's face it, if you have fewer than three books, there's no way you're going to be a full-time writer. (laughs) So so if you have more than three books in a series or if you're starting to make more money um, as an indie author, that's when I recommend people look at going wide. Um, So, of course, the things I've just described are when you're at a point of not wanting all this money to come in just from Amazon. So Mm -hmm. I know that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I wanted people to kind of understand the longer game over going wide. It's not just how do I make my rent this month? And, of course, for some people, you know, that's why KDP Select and going exclusive is a good idea. But if you think three years' time five years time, 10 years time, do you want all of your income if your aim is to be a full-time author to come from one company? And what if that company does change the rules? So um, I know I'm still answering your question, but I still have more valid points. <laughs> no, 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 um, we, we're good. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, good. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm sipping coffee, drinking, I'm eating some <laughs> jelly beans. I'm good. You go. <laughs> well, the, the other thing is um, the changing the rules. Now, obviously, um, you know, and I love Amazon. I just want everyone to know that. And and I do make 50% of my book sales income does come from Amazon KDP. I also sell on CreateSpace and Audible. And I, I don't want to give that up for anything. So right. I'm certainly not Amazon bashing at all. But um, they do change the rules. So we've seen um, uh, with audible so the lucky americans who got in with acx first got a very good royalty um which they rapidly changed when they expanded to the uk and they changed the royalty rate um dropped it significantly for acx authors um the second thing they've changed quite recently is the um, amazon associates that's affiliate payments the percentage dropped uh several percentage points um so these are and also obviously um kdp select itself we've seen um what happens with the payments the payments change every month um the payment per page it didn't even used to be per page it used to be per borrow and then you know the algorithms change we we have to agree that amazon changes things Mm -hmm. all the time and again it's a kind of okay so Part of the reason we are indies is to be independent. And if you're dependent on a company, you know, are you truly indie? Um, And and secondly, how can you be in control of your future if you don't, if you only have that one stream of income? So these are a ton of reasons why I think people should consider going wide, but only if they have more than three books, preferably in a series, because the other um, vendors right now, it is hard to get traction unless you have a number of books. So there's my, um, my initial point of view. What, what do you, what do you think? Anything to come back on? No, no, I think that wraps us up, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll see. No, I, I, that's no, actually what I picked up on there is, uh, you're talking about a, a strategy essentially of, uh, and something that I recommend to people all the time. So it's very familiar to me. So 
the idea of get out there. You can get into KDP Select for uh, your initial like three books and leverage that time to write more books and then move in. You know, that's when you go wide. And that's what I'm picking up from you. Is that about what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, th I think the the other reason, so let's um, sort of flip that, that that's definitely true for the US. Right. Um, and that is still the biggest, um, well, the biggest single market, although um, I do my annual uh, sort of look at my book sales. And in 2016, um, the US was only 45% of my book sales. So the other countries have now started to, um, you know, outsell the US together. So it's still the biggest single market. But if you think about the rest of the world, what's happening right now? So as we speak, I don't know when this will go out, but as we speak, Amazon just bought soup.com. And I know it's Amazon, but it's um, what I'm seeing, you know, what Amazon does as a business is they're looking for the growth. So what we're seeing in America is ebook growth has um, slowed or almost stopped. So, you know, in some genres, it's 70 percent digital. In some genres, it's 30 percent digital. But the fact is, you know, seven years ago, it was zero percent digital. So the growth has happened and maybe it will stop altogether. Maybe it will hang there. But in um, Amazon just bought soup.com, which is the biggest um, e-retailer in the Middle East, um, which is basically at one percent digital right mm. now so if you think that the rest of the and, and then Kobo um, is in 190 countries right. they, they've just done a deal in the Netherlands um, where they're looking at um, you know doing some not not KDP select as in uh, going exclusive but in terms of borrows and that type of thing um, we've got in the in the Far East in China we've got a company like Publish Drive which is getting in there with these Chinese um, retailers um, we've got Latin America um, the, all kinds of things happening India uh, where digital sales are currently less than one percent so the growth in the next five years is going to be global and then you've mm -hmm. got to say okay so who's best position so Kobo again is owned by Rakuten which is Japan's largest um, e-commerce company so if you think that the growth the sales right now in America are still the most mature but the growth in the next five to ten years is global how are you going to be best positioned for global right. and um, then you're looking at okay well, I want to be on the other retailers that um, are that in the countries where Amazon is not dominant. Right. So even in someone like Germany, Amazon has 50% uh, of that ebook market, give or take. Um, but the Tolino has most of the other 50%. Um, and you can get on Tolino through draft to digital right? That's, so, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> A little so, self-plug there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why not? Um, so and I used it after digital, so hence why I'm here. But um, it's this is the other thing that I want people to think. And again, it's a strategy. It's what you're saying. But right. it, the, the, the truth is with the other markets right now as well, the other countries, again, you're looking at a strategy. So I'm I'm 42. Um, I'm fully expecting to be doing this for at least another 42 years. Um, I would hope more than that. You know, I'm kind of aiming for the over the century um, exactly. with longevity and all that. But um, but also copyright is 70 years after we die. Now, can you know, we cannot think. Um, so I'm going to just say, let's say 140 years uh, time when my copyright runs out. How can we say that the situation will stay the same? It absolutely won't. Yeah. So um, how can we best position ourselves for that type of global expansion? Um, and I think that is by building a readership 
in other countries. So through Kobo, and they have the best breakdown of country sales, um, I've sold books in 83 countries. That yep. is, I've actually sold them. They are for sale in 190, but I have I have sold in, in 83. So, I mean, that's super exciting to have sold books in Africa and, um, you know, uh, Latin America and Asia and all these places where you just wouldn't expect to be selling. So that's the other strategic thing is, okay, all well and good to be US dominant right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what's the market going to be in five years time? I might be the Dan Brown of new Dan Brown of China, you know, or, <laughs> right. or of Paraguay or, you know, of, of a random country that I could never have expected. Um, and that can only happen if your books are actually there. Yeah. Okay. Two questions then, and they're related. Uh, one, are you doing translations for all these countries? And two, how are you marketing to these countries? Uh, so no, these are all books in English. Oh, really? So, okay. Yep. This is super important. Um, go look up people, or you can put it in the show notes um, on Wikipedia, um, the list of countries that speak English, and it's pretty much everywhere. So, um, I mean, even like I have a lot of German friends, like in Europe, I know, and again, this is something that Americans, I think, forget. I mean, a lot of Americans speak Spanish, right? Right. Um, because it's a, I think it's, a, you know, soon will overtake English is like the biggest language in America. <laughs> right. But in, in Europe, um, most Europeans, I mean, British people are terrible. We're just ridiculous with languages. But most men, most Europeans will speak English as well. Um, many educated Europeans um, will often read in English. So in Germany, um, the, my book sales there are in English. Um, so this is really important to people. There are also something like 120 million English speakers in India. And they are the, um, you know, educated middle class Indians with money. There's yeah. only 60 million in the UK. So you're looking at twice as many. English speakers in India than Britain. Um, The same in China. If you think about the size of these populations and the number of who speak English, um, that may help to give people a sort of, um, you know, perspective on language. Um, The other thing, just, you know, I'm a bit of a futurist. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Um, Yeah, we've got some, uh, I mean, Google Translate technology. um, And, you know, some of the things that are coming, what I and, and there's a book that's just come out recently called The Fourth Fourth Transformation by Robert Scoble and Shell Israel, which I'm I'm pretty excited about, which is about augmented reality. So I see a point where I mean they already have it where you can speak into this headset yeah. and the other person can hear it in their language. So we're almost at the universal translator kind of level. I see the same thing happening with books and probably nonfiction first because it doesn't have nuance. Um, But I'm pretty sure it's going to happen where you can put on your augmented reality glasses, for example, look at a book in English and read it in German. Um, I think this is going to be a massive change in the translation market. Now, it's probably 10, 20 years off. But again, we're talking we're talking about a big, you know, big scale technologies here. So I think there's a lot of things coming that will mean language is not such a barrier. Um, but for now, um, just write and publish in English. No need to go down the translation route. And in fact, I have tried self-publishing translations and they've been pretty dire. Um, yeah. they've, they've cost me money. And the main thing is you can't market in another language. Um, right. So I've gone back to trying to license my rights to traditional publishers in other languages. Really? Um, was, okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was the other half of that question? Uh, just Lang- how, how you're marketing to these other countries. Oh, right. So the other thing, yeah. So let's assume <laughs> we're doing marketing in English. Um, it's, 
what people might have forgotten is that the internet is global. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so if I look at my traffic for the creativepen.com or jfpen or the audience for my podcast, again, it's not all English speaking countries. I have right. listeners to my show in China. I have listeners to my show in Africa. Um, I have um, a, a, one of my beta readers for jfpen, which is my thriller um, name, is is in Rwanda, uh, which I just love. He's a, a professor in, in Rwanda at a yeah. university. You know, and that is really cool. So what you've got to think is people all over the world are doing exactly the same type of searches on the Internet. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. They're on all the things that we are on in the West and other things, obviously. Um, but people find us in the way that they find us. Also, if you think about this with something like Kobo um, and think about my reader in uh, Rwanda, uh, for example, he doesn't have Amazon in Rwanda, yeah. <laughs> but he he can get Kobo. Kobo doesn't have, well, you can choose not to put DRM on your eBooks. Right. So um, people can buy them in other countries. It's much easier to, to buy them that way. So um, that's what's kind of exciting about, um, you know, the marketing. What you've got to think is, okay, I'm, I'm not just marketing to people who I assume are just like me who live in, you know, who live in an RV in America or a house in Bath or you know people who are our age are you know married whatever white you just can't assume that you, you just have to put your stuff out in the world and the people who are interested in your stuff will find it um you know like religious conspiracy thrillers um my guy in in Rwanda loves that stuff right right <laughs> and he's probably a better market well, in fact I know he's a better market than people who live around the corner here in Bath who are very literature focus right. so that's what you've got to think about marketing just keep doing the stuff you're doing but um consider that people will find it from all over the world that's i love every single thing about that strategy right from i especially like that i don't have to worry about uh translations because that was a heartburn of mine that i i've been working on because <laughs> it's yeah, expensive it's, it, yeah but it's so funny i mean and i mean Obviously, I'm British, but I do hear this only from Americans. Mm -hmm. This cons this assumption that f that selling abroad must mean translations, um, and I don't really understand why that is. Um, but it's definitely something that seems to be a an issue. Yeah. Um, but it'd be great if you you know if we could we could blow the horn on English speakers globally. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. This is our chance. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to let everyone know. You don't have to bother. Um, and I agree with you. And I, I think that that technology that you mentioned, by the way, is much closer. I mean, I know that Google acquired, and I can't remember the name of the company, but they acquired that company that does that visual uh, translation of, like, signs mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. I mean, and that's that's right there in the same territory. So I'm pretty yeah, sure that's that's it's coming. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if um if 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 people listening, if you Google like Universal Translator or you know, you'll see where the technology is, and it is pretty amazing. I yeah. I agree with you. Um, it's just that a lot of this stuff hasn't quite filtered down, and of course, amazingly, the book reading and writing um side of of people are not quite up with technology. Often we we shy away from technology, but you know, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Um, yeah. I know the publishing industry probably wouldn't be, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty exciting. And, and, to, and, and to be clear, the traditional publishing industry. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting how many people are, you know, worried about that. The the other thing that I think is interesting, and again, Amazon is at the forefront of things. And um, the other thing that's just happened this last week is Amazon Cash. Um, and this is a big deal because digital sales um, are the reason America was first in digital sales is that America was first with online credit cards and debit cards. Mm -hmm. So um, and then, of course, we have them in Britain and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and things. But many people in India, um, the Middle East, Africa, Latin America don't have a credit card or a debit card. They may not even have what is, you know, in quotation marks, a proper address. They might not have a bank account. Um, so Amazon Cash, to me, will open up this sort of um, idea of online sales in other countries. And I'm, I'm, I hope the other retailers will follow suit, which yeah. is that someone who wants to buy stuff online can go top up like their account with cash right. um, and then will be able to to buy online with the cash that they've paid into like their online account. Yeah. Um, also excited about micropayments in India. So this is, you know, in India, you, you'll you see people in rural India who who have, you know, not much at right. all. They, right. they still have a cell phone. So um, cell phones and, you know, there's a $5 smartphone in India now. So mm -hmm. you don't need... Uh, just a standard basic Nokia or whatever. Um, but but what you can do also with these micro payments is pay through your um, telecom provider. So there's micro reading, micro payments starting to happen in these um, other cultures. So for me, that is a sign that developing country or what we call developing countries um, will be moving on to digital sales, just yeah. using different payment mechanisms. Yeah, this technology, that technology, and it, it's funny, and I think you were the one actually I got, this, I stole this from, because uh, I talk about it all the time. Steal away. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, you mentioned, and I think this may have been at Smarter Artist Summit or one of the other things you appeared at, but um, you mentioned that, you know, in, in India and uh, I think Africa and a few developing areas, you know, they skipped the computer revolution, basically, mm. and they jumped right into mobile technology. And now yeah. with micropayments and uh, you've also got this sort of micro entrepreneur kind of thing going on. I mean, there are it, there are ways now for people to to receive funds that they never actually hold in their hands. It's all virtual. And that opens up all kinds of opportunities for them to be able to buy books, you know, and People can uh, run uh, like Kickstarter type campaigns where you know you can provide uh, funds for an entire community to to buy a digital library, that sort of thing. I think that's gonna. I think we're gonna see more and more about that sort of thing in the future, very near future. Oh yeah, definitely. Because people will always buy stuff. The question right. is, how how do we do the different currency? So right now, you know, I'm I might be making about two pounds, uh, or you know, five dollars, um, or it's probably about two dollars right now with the I exchange rate. Uh, yeah, it's about two two dollars fifty uh, with um you know with my Indian sales. Yeah. But think about the potential in India. Um, it's huge. So and it's only just started. Right. So this is what I want. I think people really struggle with this type of long-term thinking yeah. uh, I've really noticed this amongst the author community people are like oh yeah I've got like a book bar I'm gonna sell all these books today mm -hmm. and are not thinking you know okay well how how is this going to impact your business in a year's time five years time ten years time how are these societal changes like we're starting to see now a lot of the discussion on how robots you know in America it's not immigrants stealing your jobs it's robots <laughs> stealing your jobs um, and the same in Britain you know society 
is changing. And I think this is another reason I want to almost hedge. I mean, again, we're talking about currency here, the global state. I'm doing very well with a pound being weak because I'm, you know, I get uh, money in US dollars. Those authors in America who earn in pounds in the UK are making less money. Right. these type of global shifts, um, you know, will mean that it's better to have an income in multiple currencies, because in some way, you're sort of hedging against things changing. Um, What if, you know, what if sales in America, what if that is the limit? What if 70% is the limit? Um, How how are we going to share that um, out? But then the pie is not just America. That's the point. The pie is much, much bigger. Um, So I guess, yeah, there's so many things that I'm excited about, which revolve around the global industry, um, the global book buying public expanding. So you've just got to think, okay, so India is nothing right now in terms of digital sales. But, you know, imagine that it's like America was in 2011, where the Kindle had just come out, people were like, what is this? No one's going to read on this. You know, that's just not going to happen. And yet the whole we, we the whole industry is a whole industry has grown up around this. So um, that's what I want people to think. What if 70 percent of Indian book sales were digital? What if 70 percent of China was right. Chinese book sales um, were were digital. How can I have a piece of that, basically? Yeah, then that's and that, you, now you're back to multiple streams of income, uh, or at least in the basics of that. Um, with all these different emerging markets coming online, you may not see a ton of money coming in from each one right away. Uh, but I do like the fact that I, there's going to be this trickle that could grow at any time. I don't mind that my books may be selling for you know a, a bit less in India, <laughs> frankly, mm. if, if it means that I've got a, I'm establishing an audience there. There are quite a few people in India, so if I can get a big chunk of those, any given percentage really of the Indian population reading my books, I'd be very happy. Mm. And and again, just coming back to that multiple streams of income, isn't it better? Like it, instead of getting a hundred, just leave it at a hundred, a hundred pound, a hundred dollars from one company, you're getting ten dollars from ten companies exactly. or ten streams of income. Because then, you know, if you lose one, you only lose you know, $10. Whereas if you with the other one, if they change the rules, so we've seen it um, with a lot of the people who were doing well in, um, you know, KDP select volume, you know, version one, um, there was a massive shift in who then was making money when they changed the rules. So this is the thing. It's like, okay, so I need to protect myself. And I mean, I say this as someone who, you know, my husband left, I left my job in 2011. My husband left his job in, um, in 2015. So, you know, we have, we're making our whole living on the internet. And we were actually talking the other day, what, what is, what are the potential threats to our livelihood? Um, what could take away everything? And the, really the only thing now is the internet. And I'm like, do you know what, if the internet goes, a lot of people are in trouble. Well, that's what what I was going to say. If you've got that (laughs) problem, you, there are probably bigger problems to worry about. So income isn't going to be an issue. And you know, uh, on the on the topic, because something you said triggered this, um, because mm. I typically describe uh, the multiple threads of income or streams of income in in terms of what I call the Lipton T method, which is uh, <laughs> uh, funny, but it's um, Lipton T actually sources tea leaves from hundreds of different uh, places to mm. make their tea products, right? So mm. if any if there's a blight or drought or anything that affects any given region. 
their team remains consistent all the time. So they're they're always they've always got the same product, and it's the same sort of thing with this diversifying your income. Like if if there's a drought in the, in the form of uh, Amazon just changed their rules again, and now you're making less money or whatever, you don't have to worry about that because you've got all these things kind of sort of compensating for it. Mm. And, and in fact, let's, let's make it more um, specific to people as well. Remember the year of the Trump election, <laughs> which is which is still <laughs> quite close. Like, yeah, so 20, 2016 in America, there was uh, a huge downturn in book sales around, you know, over the summer of 2016 and into September, people thought it would recover, but it didn't. And the reason why is people were watching the TV all the time. And they were like, oh, my, instead of reading, they were like, oh, my goodness, what's happening? So even a political event like that, can change the volume of people's books. So it doesn't even need to be Amazon changing the rules. It can be things happening in in the wider world. Like in Britain, we've just had Brexit. So we mentioned the exchange rate changing there. I mean, there are things, you know, there are, I know people in Britain right now who's who have lost jobs or, you know, and things that are uh, are now going to be lost because of Brexit. Now, an individual cannot control a, a situation like that all we can do is try and protect the future we want and the current state of what we want so right. um i know again a lot of what we're talking about is future state but just coming back to going wide um mark lefave will say it from kobo and if the apple guys ever spoke in public they would say it um <laughs> it, it takes it takes uh, you know, at least six months, six months to a year, I would say, to build up an income stream from the other sites. So, um, you know, for example, I do my Nook sales through Draft to Digital, and I did that because Nook Press is, is su- such a pain. Now, maybe Nook will have gone <laughs> by, right, right. by you know, in a, by the time this goes out, who knows? Um, but what you've got to think is, okay, so um, how if I give myself a year, let's say, to grow my audience at Kobo, at iBooks, at Nook, at some of these other retailers, like I'm about to publish with Publish Drive, specifically to get into the Chinese market, even if I'm making two pounds a year, I want my books to be in the Chinese market, just in case. So there are things that I'm doing that are that are a bigger picture for a you know a while away and then i'm just assuming that things will come up where i'll be like oh hey you know um well dan brown does have a book coming out this year um 2017 as we record this he doesn't write very often (laughs) but he has a book coming out and he was massive in china so again something that i'm looking at going all right how can i position myself just in case and this is not a i must get a book bub to sell more books it's a just in case putting some effort in for the longer term so yeah that's that's brilliant and i i think that's exactly the right way to approach it (laughs) and i i feel like i need to rush right now and go to publish drive and uh, get into I mean, the Chinese there, market. There are other options. That's just, that's just, I just, um, I was at London Book Fair a few weeks ago and I had a meeting with Publish Drive and I specifically asked them about China because at the moment Amazon's, uh, are Amazon in China at all? I think they're really struggling. And this is the thing because Amazon is this big American company, there are some places that are much more open 
to Kobo or other um, local sellers. Um, And what's interesting about Published Drive is they're out of Hungary. So there's absolutely in Budapest and there's absolutely no issue with the Chinese dealing with people in Hungary. So (laughs) stuff like this is so interesting when you think about it globally. Um, So yes, Published Drive, I'm not on there yet, so I can't uh, recommend it to people um, but obviously like draft digital is normally the first place people will go um, or smash words when they start to look at going wide um, and then looking a bit further so published drive does um, google play which again still has a market you know for some people yeah. um, but they also have a ton of eastern european and asian ebook vendors which draft a digital doesn't have and neither does smashwords so i think that's the thing is to start thinking about the ecosystem of self-publishing being bigger uh than what it has been over the last few years yeah i agree yeah and uh it's it's, it's an evolving market and I, you know draft digital of course is picking up new vendors all the time so just to put that out there but uh yeah there's lots of avenues to explore almost too many honestly uh, yeah, but it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. Um, okay. Well, I think we've covered everything pretty well and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. And I know this is a little different than the, uh, the normal tack we've taken with podcasts in the past, but I'm hoping this, this catches on. So thanks so much for being on. No worries, Kevin. If people are interested, I have my own podcast at thecreativepen.com. That's pen, the double N. So uh, come on over there if people are interested. And you can also check her out at the, well, you got thecreativepen.com and you've got uh, your books are available on jfpen.com. Indeed. Yeah. What's Curl Up (laughs) Press? Give me, give me the 30 second rundown of Curl Up Press. Oh, okay. So Curl Up Press, um, basically at the, at the end of last year, we were like, okay, we want to sell rights to foreign publishers. Okay. And my my two brand websites being The Creative Pen and JF Pen, we wanted to do it in a more professional way. So Curl Up Press is basically a small press set up for Joanna Penn and JF Penn's books. And we are licensing foreign rights out of Curl Up Press. And we're also now working on Ingram Spark to do um, print books. So again, another way of going wide, I used to just do create space um, but now I use Ingram Spark and have a much further reach with print books which surprisingly people are still buying a lot of print books I bet um, yeah I, yeah, I don't even think about them anymore. But yeah, you're right. I need to. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a, it, this is the thing. Yeah, when you start thinking about multiple streams of income, print is actually a significant stream of income for many right. people, especially nonfiction authors. I sell a lot of books in print for nonfiction. So, um, using Ingram Spark, it's a lot cheaper for me, the author, but also um, a lot more booksellers, libraries, and retailers can get the print books that they will not order from CreateSpace. But I think uh, print sales are probably a whole nother discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have you back. You can come back. We'll talk about print. That would be a good good conversation. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for having me, Kevin. Thank you. And uh, everyone, uh, you can find all this information and more in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Well, that was Joanna Penn, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. I, uh, you know, one of the great things about this show, um, I, you know, I hear the interview live. While I'm while I'm talking to the guests, though, I don't really get to <clears throat> I don't get to absorb all of it. <laughs> so while I'm editing the episodes or whatever, you know, I listen to all the episodes. So while I'm editing the episode, I'll listen through it, and you know, I pick up things that I didn't maybe I didn't notice the first time, or, or in some cases, things I misinterpreted from the guest the first time. Um, so it's good for me to listen to these too. Um, anyway, I 
this whole concept of going global, uh, it, it is a strategy that most authors don't think about. Um, most of us, when we get started, we think about the money. We think about, you know, what, what can I do to maximize how much I'm earning? What can I do to uh, bring in enough readers to, you know, to become raving fans so that I, uh, you know, I have a steady income? Because uh, we got bills to pay and we got mouths to feed. And that, that sort of thing is, is it, well, that's, it, it's vital. That's what the whole thing is about, right? Uh, there's our art, <clears throat> which we love. We love the work we produce. And then there is the more practical side. we got to make the art kind of pay our bills. Um, if you read, if you read the book, big magic, uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert, she actually talks about that concept of making art pay your bills. Um, and I kind of like the direction she took with it because, <laughs> you know, you, sometimes you just do the art because you're driven to do the art and you might have to have a day job, you know, <clears throat> sometimes your art can't afford to pay your bills. And so you have to, uh, you have to support it and that's perfectly fine too. Uh, but I know that the, I know that all of us, our dream is that we sell enough books that they they provide a lifestyle. In, in the case of like Hugh Howey, it's a catamaran nude on the deck, <laughs> hanging out with people in uh, foreign locales, um, that, that kind of lifestyle. Um, but for some of us, it would just be, you know, for a great many people I met this week, I mean, it's just making enough money that you are free to live your life however you choose uh you're free to live where you want you're you're free to uh you know, buy buy the things you want but also just know that you're secure without having to report into anybody and that's that independence is something joanna talked about in this interview and it's it's vital i mean it's exactly what most authors are out looking for and globalization and going wide the uh the ideas here <clears throat> And I'm sorry, I keep clearing my throat. I'm having a throat. You can hear the throat thing. Um, the entire concept behind going wide and, and going global is it, it, it works perfectly with the concept of how do I attract enough readers, you know, to support me and my family through my work. You know, how do I, how do I attract attract the customer? Um, what it does is increase your odds. It, you can think of it that way, and it makes the whole thing feel much easier to 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 accept. You are um, you don't want to try to aim for everyone as your customer. That's not the that's not the goal here. It's not about I want everyone on the planet to read my book. It's not about everyone everyone in the U.S. reading my book. It's not about that. You have an ideal reader, right? Or you should you should know who you're writing to, <clears throat> and that person represents a group. Because as much as we are all individuals and unique, um, we are also very similar to other people in the things that we enjoy and the things that we like to experience. And so for everything that you do and enjoy uh, and like to experience, there are at least a thousand other people out there um, who are going to feel the same way, at least. Uh, so and in fact, I'd say it probably, it's probably... The odds are it's much higher. So what you're doing by going wide and going global is you're reaching out to that um, ideal audience in more places. So it's not it's not necessarily about, you know, I want I want to hit big in Germany. I want Germans to read my book. It's about I want the people who are like my ideal reader who live in Germany, who live in Sweden, who live in India. I want those people uh, to find my book. And it's, it's a nuanced distinction, okay? So it, it, I, I can understand 
Uh, and maybe some of you are rolling your eyes like this is too basic. <laughs> I, I do understand that. Um, but the the idea here is uh, expanding your reach. Giving yourself more opportunity is really what it's about. So I hope you did enjoy this interview with Jonah Penn. Um, real quick housekeeping right here at the end. We'll, we'll wrap up. But if you would like to support the show, you can do that. I really do appreciate it. There are a couple of ways. Uh, if you want to do it financially, you can go to wordslingerpodcast.com. You can click on the Patreon uh, logo on that page. And you can actually um, make a, a donation, basically. You can contribute... Um, uh, you know, a dollar a month or, you know, any amount you like. If you want to throw 50 bucks in there, man, I, I, God bless you. I'm right there with you. Uh, (laughs) I appreciate you. Uh, but you know, all any, any money that comes my way through Patreon, all of it goes back into the show. Um, that it's, it helps pay hosting fees. It helps pay, um, you know, I don't outsource my production. I probably should. Uh, but I could, if I, if I start, you know, pulling in enough maybe i'll do that um but it, you know it, it, it helps me with overhead for the show but uh, and overhead for other aspects that kind of relate to the show um so you know if you want to give financially i appreciate it uh you're under no obligation but you can do that at wordslingerpodcast.com just click on patreon if you're on the show notes for the show there's a patreon link at the bottom of the the show notes so I appreciate that. Uh, other ways you can support the show, and these are free of charge. If you go on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and, and wherever you found this podcast, um, and you, cl- you click through and uh, find the show, you can review the show. Rate and review the show. This is especially helpful on iTunes. If you're rating and reviewing the show, it helps me to be found easier by people who appreciate this content. Uh, so that is... Um, much appreciated. Uh, a new way that I hadn't really um, thought about much until this conference, uh, I ran into, and by the way, everyone who came up to me from the conference and said hello and said they listened to the show and they love the show, uh, I, I love you and I, <laughs> I wish I could have talked to you more. Uh, I tried to have you know real meaningful conversations with everyone. Um, I bumped into somebody in the men's room when I was in a real hurry uh, and did not get a chance to talk to him until after, but... <laughs> I did try to talk to everybody and uh, and thank you. And I, I'm just so, I'm very, I'm so grateful um, for what you bring. I mean, you, you've, this show is in part created by you. The people who talk to me, you know, when they bump into me on the street um, and at conferences and that sort of thing, um, they tell me what they like. They tell me what they appreciated. They tell me what moved them about it. And because of that, I, it shapes what I do. So, the uh, but that is not that is a way to support the show. But that's not where I was going with this. Um, you can actually connect with me online uh, in multiple places. Uh, I am on Twitter at Kevin Tomlinson. I am on uh, uh, Facebook. Uh, if you just search Kevin Tomlinson on Facebook, there's me and there's one poor other guy who is never going to have a an internet presence for the rest of his life, and I'm deeply sorry for that. <laughs> So at least nothing, nothing that's ever going to pop up in the first like 20 pages of Google. <laughs> so if you'll uh, go on there, you look for me uh, on my personal page. Uh, I'm wearing a bow tie in that shot right now. Uh, you can, you can, you know, friend me if you like, uh, just follow me if you want. That's fine by me. You can also find my author page. Uh, I should be giving you the URLs, but it's, frankly, I think I got it wrong the last time I mentioned it. So if you just search Kevin Tomlinson, you should be able to find it, um, find either one. And, uh, if you can't, um, ping me and I'll send you that one. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, follow me there. Uh, reach out to me, say, tell me anything you like. 
Uh, if there's feedback you have about the show, uh, questions for a guest, questions for me, you can do it that way. You can also do that if you go to wordslingerpodcast.com. You can click on the contact button and send me a note, which I do appreciate. There's also a little button on the floating on the right-hand side that says send voicemail. You can leave me a voicemail from the from the page. Uh, but one of the coolest is, you know, I actually do have a, an actual an actual phone number. Uh, and funny enough, I don't people don't really use it often. <laughs> I, I've gotten some I've gotten some voicemail, but for the most part, um, I've ew, it, it sits there. I, I, maybe it's not working. If if you've tried leaving me a voicemail and you can't, uh, please let me know in an email, because uh, I I discovered that if I'm apparently if I there are certain conditions uh, under which um, no voicemail can be left. So if you've tried and failed, just let me know and I'll I'll work on something. Um, I have the number. Maybe I can forward it to a different service or something. But you can call me at 281-809-WORD. That's 281-809-9673. Leave me a voicemail if it lets you. And uh, ask me a question. Uh, you know, Give me some feedback on the show. Whatever whatever you like. I appreciate that. Um, and I will, unless you tell me otherwise, I can, I will generally, I'll play that, that uh, voicemail on air. Uh, you can tell me I don't want it played on air. That's fine by me. Uh, same with uh, emails and reviews. Uh, I read that stuff on air um, just because, uh, yeah, you know, I'm grateful. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, uh, the the ultimate way to support me, if you if you do want to support me, uh, is to go check out my work. And you can find that the the easiest way to find this, by the way, is to just go on uh, wordslingerpodcast.com, which also happens to link to kevintumlinson.com, and uh, click on the books tab. In the in the menu bar, and you'll see all, every book that I have uh, published to date. <clears throat> and there's some I need to update that page because I got one coming out uh, one week from from the release date of this episode. I'm releasing the third and final volume of Sawyer Jackson, Sawyer Jackson in the White Room. Um, so if you are uh, if you've been a reader of that that trilogy. Um, you've read the first two books or if you want to pick them up for the first time this is a good time to do it you get the pre-order uh up to may 5th and it releases on may 5th so i appreciate that um but you yeah over this conference i i discovered that quite a few people read and loved my book um evergreen um which is very gratifying because that's one of my favorites that's that's you know i've kind of it's it's kind of gotten a stepchild treatment unfortunately uh <laughs> for the past couple of years as I, as I dove into writing Dan Kotler thrillers. Um, but, uh, a, a sequel has been requested and I, I will confess I had started a sequel and had to shift gears as I moved into the writing thrillers. And, and technically that one's a thriller. I, I consider it a thriller. It's more, sort of a supernatural, uh, thriller. Um, so I will get back to that. I promise you I will write that book. I should have probably already written it. Uh, it was, that's not a series. That was a standalone. So I, you know, I didn't prioritize uh, writing a sequel to it. But I think enough people have approached me at this point, and I, I haven't had a ton of sales uh, on that book. But the people who've read it have truly loved it. So maybe you'll like it. Go check it out. Uh, the, the book is called Evergreen. You can find it on my website. Um, and I use Universal Book Links, by the way. So you can, if you click on the link to buy that book, you can buy it anywhere you prefer online. <laughs> so go check it out. Um, anyway, that's it for me. I appreciate you uh, hanging out, talking to me, or listening to me anyway. 
you may be talking to me. You do you do that thing where you know if you disagree with somebody or or whatever, you yell at the you yell at your device, <laughs> yell at your phone or whatever. Uh, that's fine. I hear you. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Joanna Penn. Uh, if you did, let me know. I'll be I'll be happy to pass on any comments or praise and uh be sure to tune in again next week and otherwise god bless all of you i hope you have a fantastic weekend week ahead and i will see you next time